0: everyone and welcome to a day in the life podcast brought to you by the university of leeds career service i'm leanne and throughout each episode i'll be chatting to employees from a range of industry sectors and backgrounds from craft beer to the civil service we'll be discovering the ups the downs and everything in between thanks for listening hello everyone welcome to the first episode of a day in the life podcast i'm leanne and today my guest is julie adams who is a lead alumni with her own business in exporting craft beer the company is 100% cold chain they are an independent beer broker exporting the best uk craft beer to france and they've partnered with breweries such as northern monk pressure drop vocation and north brewing company to name a few so hello julie welcome thank you for taking some time to chat with me today I'm really looking forward to hearing all about your role within the craft beer industry and finding out how you got there. Um, But first of all, could you tell our listeners
1: a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me on. Um, I studied French with Spanish at Leeds University a few decades ago (laughs) in the (laughs) 80s. I think what struck me most about that was the opportunity to go to Spain and spend three months in Granada. And basically have lots of fun, immerse yourself in the language and meet a lot of people, enjoy the culture. It was an incredible opportunity. And then, of course, I went on to spend a year in France and it's just the best way to, to learn how to pick up a language. So that's probably the basis of my interest in language and being in France now and exporting craft beer. I then trained to be a primary school teacher. Didn't really know what I was doing, (laughs) but it sounded like fun. And I had a lot of fun, really enjoyed it. um, yeah people are incredible whether they're little or big and the interaction is great and the the situations you find yourself in are, are always unpredictable and uh, sometimes fearful and, and, and worrying but also very fulfilling as a person to know that you can deal with those situations mm-hmm. and then went on and had my own kids and decided that school wasn't good enough and I was going to homeschool them <laughs> we just really did lots of fun stuff Um, and at different times because we were quite mobile we lived in London we lived in Cardiff and Chester and then we moved abroad to St Martin which is in the Caribbean Um, we moved to Toronto we lived in France and a little bit in Germany and that was throughout my children's childhood so I feel like they had a very rich worldly experience of meeting people learning languages yeah it was good And then the the latter part of my journey, um, I was teaching in a French immersion school in Toronto. So that meant I was speaking French all day, sandwiching it between English with small children who, by the end of the year, could understand French. So that's a really great thing about Canada because they have two official languages. You can choose whether you want to be in an immersion school or just an English language school. And um, eventually we came back to the UK and... We set up a business exporting craft beer to France. That's kind of a condensed version of my journey up to this point.
0: What an amazing journey you've had! You've lived all over. Have you got any particular favourite places?
1: You know, I think one of the things that you learn when you live in different places is you just have to take the advantage of the best points of that area. Yeah. So Toronto is amazing because nearly everybody was an immigrant. You could hardly find somebody who was truly born in Canada. And that was really reassuring. But then, you know, you have hot summers, really steaming <laughs> hot summers and very cold winters. So, you know, there's good bits and bad. I mean, France is amazing too because it's... it's There's so much depth of culture there. So um, I think the best thing to do is wherever you end up, just really take advantage of the, the positive points of being there.
0: Yeah, it really sounds like you've made the most of all of the experiences you've had in life so far, you know, delving into different cultures and trying lots of new things. And there's a lot of change there as well between the teaching and moving around physically and, and homeschooling. Yeah. And I personally struggle with with change. Mm-hmm. So it's really great to hear how all of that change has shaped your career and also your children's lives as well with them learning languages and everything. Yeah. So you initially trained as a teacher.
1: Yeah.
0: Can you give us a bit of a walkthrough of how you went from teaching to the craft beer industry because it seems like quite a career change out there
1: yes I suppose a, a teaching I went into a little bit blindly having left university and talked to somebody in careers and thought okay that sounds like the thing I'm, I'm most um, suitable to but I think as you move through life especially when you have a family and you start to move around a bit more you know that there are plenty of opportunities out there and simply because you can speak French doesn't mean to say you have to be a French teacher. And um, I think perhaps in my time, in the uh, 80s and 90s, perhaps we weren't quite so flexible or perhaps I just wasn't so flexible. But uh, I lived with my partner and he was very open to lots of ideas and, and really probably more business focused than I was. I was much more focused on people and the human side of work But I think I started thinking about how people learn and just thinking a little bit outside the box about what you could do with yourself. I know when I I was um, homeschooling my own kids, I read a lot about how to manage your relationships with children, even though I'd been a teacher. (laughs) And... um, There was a particular book by Alison Gopnik called The Scientist in the Crib, and she specializes in cognitive development, particularly in children. And she saw that children were really like mini scientists or vice versa. Scientists were like mini children and that they explore, they hypothesize, experiment, they try, they they look for a solution always and don't give up. And um, so I started learning about how we think about what we're doing and what our attitudes are. And I think, you know, that meant that in our 40s, when we had to make a decision, when the children had were at university or grown up, what we could do and we were much more open to thinking about many, many alternatives. Running a school was one of them. But um I think our connection with France meant that we had an insight perhaps into what was happening there. And we thought, oh, why don't we bring French beer Uh, Craft beer was making a big hit on the scene in around about 2015. and We thought we'd bring French beer back to the UK. And um, we realised that that really wasn't going to (laughs) work. The UK had much better beers than France. But there was a demand in France to have beers out there. So it was kind of like a project of, uh, well, let's research it. Let's read everything we possibly can about bringing UK beer over to France. And that was uh, quite a project because it meant reading lots of documents issued from the government and it felt like we were really wading and wading through it for a long time, but you know you cast aside certain documents, you find something else, and it takes you off on another avenue so it was very thorough and it was necessary, and it was um it felt like a good piece of learning actually and mm-hmm. so what that tells me now is that we're actually very knowledgeable about this particular area, sometimes more knowledgeable than the people on the end of the phone when you want to find out some information. No, you feel like you've actually delved into all areas of how you export and how you import into france and especially with covid and brexit being big hurdles in the way
0: so you made a steadfast decision then to listen to your instincts and to try something new and back up this next stage of your career with lots of research, which seems to have paid off. You know, you're now the director of a successful beer exploitation company. Yeah. And in keeping with the title of our Day in the Life podcast, what does a typical day look like for you?
1: Well, we're quite a small company, so I wear lots of hats. So I I talk a lot with the breweries, um, local breweries in Leeds, in fact, Northern Monk and North. And um, some of the Manchester, Bristol and London breweries we work with. So I talk a lot with them about what's coming up. I spend a lot of time on the computer composing newsletters and updating our catalogue, which is an online catalogue for the French people. I speak to my customers in France. So it's a lot of um, relationship management, I suppose, with people, but also... I have to be pretty sharp on the figures because you can't be selling beer at the wrong price (laughs) or giving it the wrong description or wrong ABV or whatever. So it's a lot of um, talking to people, really. And then, of course, we've got our warehouse, but I've got somebody who's looking after that. And then it's, uh, I suppose, a portion of the day is visualising what's going to be the next event or the next strategy that we can use to make our suppliers really more successful and make our partners in France more successful as well so we're always trying to think both sides it's like we're piggy in the middle so we're thinking what can we do to help the brewery and what can we do to help our uh, customers in France who are bars and bottle shops mostly so the day divides up into many many colors and shapes I suppose. Wow okay so quite
0: varied then lots going on lots to think about lots of different areas that you look after um what are some of the best parts of the job for you what do
1: you think are the highlights um well tasting the beer is always good (laughs) (laughs) it's just so surprising what a beer can can be i mean in my day a beer was a pretty ordinary pint as far as i was concerned And the craft beer industry is so varied, there are hops, there are different types of hops, so you can now get an essential oil of a hop, practically, rather than the the flour and the cone, which was incredibly fragile, you know, and waned within 24 hours, so it had to be frozen. And the equipment that the, the brewers tell me they're using, you know, to x-ray weigh each can to make sure it's filled up properly, it's really come a long way. And I think the surprise of those new discoveries is what is the most interesting part, really, because really if you just said to me twenty or thirty years ago, you'll end up selling beer to French people, I just would sort have of hooted and, <laughs> and not believed it. But um, I think the newness and the and also the energy of the people involved in that in the industry, it's a industry so people are very creative they're very innovative they're very bold and they take risks and that's really refreshing it's just the fact that every day there's something new that you discover or you learn about um, craft beer and it like I said it's not necessarily just the beer itself because the beer really at the end of the day is just a medium for meeting other people Mm -hmm. I think the Northern Monk particularly in Leeds collaborate with many many artists really talented artists that are just not highlighted I think in our communities as much as they should be so that's really fun to see the kind of artwork that goes on to Norma Cannes and the research that they do yeah I find it very um, stimulating actually to be working in this area.
0: That sounds amazing yeah and I can see on your website that cold chain work with some huge names, some I mentioned at the start, some of which are Leeds-based as well, you know, Northern Monk and North Brewing Company. And they put out some amazing creations, um, flavour-wise and also their beer cans as well. When you go down to the supermarket and you see them on the shelves, you know, it's just like a work of art. You almost want to keep them when you're finished because they're just so nice to look at.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I went sat for about an hour with a French customer, and as he showed me, album after album of all the labels he collected off cans. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's, it's glorious, really. Actually, the Tate, the modern Tate, did an exhibition last year and the year before of beer labels, uh, beer artwork, and I think, really, they deserve their place there, mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, our catalogue is very visual as well, so when our customers are buying, they see all the artwork of the breweries and I think that's really quite an important part because if it's a one-off beer it can just disappear into the ether after it's done its round and and it seems a shame to lose all of that hard work that's gone into it yeah you know I mean a, a mural on a wall lasts for you know it lasts for a much longer time and I feel that some of the labels are merit you know, being remembered.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's really great to hear that despite being so heavily involved with actually running the business and taking on a multitude of different tasks, you know, you mentioned cataloging, looking after the clients, um, monitoring the warehouse. It's lovely to hear that you get to know the creative side of your industry sector as well whether that's the craft of brewing the beer itself or supporting the artist behind the labels. Yeah. And what are some of the more difficult or not so great parts of the job for you?
1: I suppose um, lack of time, actually, is one of them, because I just wish there were more than 24 hours in a day. I think if we have an unhappy customer, then that's always difficult. Mostly it's because it's for reasons that are outside of our control. So, for example, the lorry in France hasn't delivered um, on time or they've they've come and gone and not delivered because they didn't ring the owner up. And and there's very little I can do about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do try, but that's kind of frustrating. I think asking for money is not second nature to me. So if somebody's quite overdue on their invoice then I have to kind of get my head into a different place and just say, okay, this is business. This is a contractor payment that was made. They've had their goods. They've had them for a month, two months, three months, four months, however long, and they need to provide an explanation as to why they haven't paid. So that's always difficult, but especially actually in the last two years, because it's just been so difficult with covid and and with brexit um covid has affected everybody and brexit has affected more the breweries i would say than our customers in france but yeah that's been pretty immense to try and balance the human side to what is in effect really a business transaction
0: yeah you know that difficulty with asking for things is so relatable you know whether it's asking for money or anything that requires something of somebody else really but it's inspiring to hear that you're able to push through the awkwardness of that and change your frame of mind in those moments yeah it sounds like you need to be really resilient and somewhat creative in finding solutions in your industry Um, especially like you say at the moment with COVID and Brexit making it really difficult to actually just move around and get things done for anybody
1: yeah I mean I think um, Covid just felt like a sledgehammer blow to all of our customers in France they called me up on the Saturday the 14th of March and said you know told me this is what's happening and I was listening to the news at the same time so I mean it just felt like the end of the world and and that was only when we thought it was going to stop for two weeks and when it carried on and on and on but of course you knock us down and we come right back up again so what happened was people started buying cans and having them at home if they couldn't go to the pub then they bring the pub to their house so I mean the breweries picked themselves up and they produced many more cans and stopped producing kegs I mean yeah there was a loss there for everybody because when you stop suddenly like that there's a cost to your production and to your stock and to the way you're working so it was definitely painful but there was a way out of it and the demand for cans just really went a bit crazy so that was that was a good thing
0: so even in a really dark time, you managed to find a win along the way with people ordering beer to their door. I suppose everything changed overnight in that sense. Yeah. So we've touched on skills such as problem solving, resilience, asking for things. Um, if any of our listeners are considering a career in goods exportation or craft beer, what are the top three skills you think are key to being successful?
1: I think something I learned, I'm quite an impetuous kind of energetic person and I think something I have learned is that to be more reflective about what you do or say, the decisions you make is really quite valuable. I mean, if you're reflective anyway, that's great. Mm. (laughs) You know, life is different in the 20s, I think, than it was when I was 20 years old. And everything's very quick. It's remote, it's quick, it's uh, immediate. You press a button and it happens. And I think that can lead you to uh, think that everything should be quicker and really moments of turning the light out and not having any devices on and just thinking about, What it is, what your day's been like or what your plans are or developing an idea, that's a really good skill. And um, obviously listening is really good as well. And I mean, listening in order to understand and to reflect. Sometimes the answer to a question is what's not said by somebody so if you're listening with the idea that you want to see what's underneath those words I think that that's a really valuable skill to have as well and then probably just energy a bit of craziness and um, <laughs> and always think there's a solution there's always a solution that surprised me a lot about working in a much more creative risky business I mean teaching is not really risky but having your own business is definitely risky and I think that Knowing that there is a solution, you'll find it eventually if you think enough about it or if you share enough with your partners. But always to think that way to think, yes, there is a solution, and I I just need to find some time to find out what it is. That was a a revelation to me, actually, because I, I think I saw shut doors, and actually, you can turn things around and look at things from different angles, and you'll come out better off. Some really great advice there, Um, advice
0: that I think can be applied to so many areas of work and life. You know, there's a mindfulness aspect of the points there as well about reflecting and listening and just giving your mind a rest from distractions so that you can really think about your intentions and develop ideas. Yeah. So you're very much involved with all areas of the 100% cold chain business What do you think is
1: the biggest misconception about working for yourself? I suppose, having been a teacher, you're not working for yourself. Everything's taken care of. You're told what to do. You know the framework within which you're working. When you're working for yourself, everything is up to you. Every decision is up to you. Where do I bank? Who do I have confidence in? Um, How should I market this? What tools should I use? Everything comes down to you. And I think. Some people think if you've got your own business, it's easy, you're in charge all the time, um, and therefore everything works, and you're making money, you're always making money. And I think the reality is that small craft businesses like ours and like the breweries and the people who we sell to have a hugely difficult time. It's, it's exciting, but it's risky. It's all ours, and you step into unknown territories more often than you probably want to. So you don't make a ton of money, not while you're still craft. That's when you uh, thats when you sell out. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's the biggest misconception. At least that was a misconception I had when I was a teacher. And I think people just don't realise that it's a 24-7 job. And people text me on Sundays and I answer them because we want our business to work. We want it to go forwards. We want it to survive. And, um, yeah so you're not
0: necessarily relying on a team of people to get the work done you are doing all of the work you're making all the phone calls and working all the hours and it sounds like you really do have to put all of your energy into it as well yeah and in stepping into some of these unknown territories that you mentioned and taking all of these risks have you learned anything about yourself that was surprising along the
1: way well yeah I think it's it's very liberating actually I mean I think I've learned to be more myself perhaps um and become more independent and know that if i have to say something then i have to say it because if it needs to be said it needs to be said i I want my money (laughs) for that (laughs) that you took off me so yeah i think uh, i feel more confident yeah i love that and final question
0: julie so a lot of our listeners they'll be currently at university and maybe thinking about their own career path maybe some people might not know where they're headed um Perhaps some will have a career change, like yourself, along the way. But is there anything you wish you would have known before embarking on your career? I think
1: it comes back to there's always a solution. I think just how possible everything is. So if you're making a decision as a student leaving university because you think, no, I can't do that. Oh, I could never do that. I'm not qualified enough to do that. I think give yourself a bit more leeway and go down the exciting route. You can only learn. And, you know, if you fail, then you've learned from that failure. The failure is always a learning point. So I think if I'd have known just how possible everything was with research and dedication, obviously you have to put time into it. I think I I might have thought a bit more about where I went. Yeah. I think I might have explored a little bit more what my openings were after university. So, um, yeah, everything's possible.
0: What a lovely way to end today's episode of A Day in the Life. There is always a solution. Thank you so much, Julie, for giving our listeners insight into your role of director at 100% Cold Chain.
1: That's lovely. Thank you very much. Thanks. I've enjoyed it very much.
0: What an amazing career journey you've had. And I do hope our listeners are inspired by your bravery to try something new and take some risks. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. So thank you very much. Thank you. That wraps up today's episode of Day in the Life. Join me next week where my guest, Ros, will be sharing her story as an area manager of Aldi. I don't think that I would have been able to get to where I am today and been comfortable leading in the way that I do without that intensive focus and that Mm -hmm. graduate programme. So I'm really glad that I did it. Thanks for listening, everyone, and see you next week.